Our text for this morning comes from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we've come this morning to consider what the Apostle Paul has to tell the Romans in his epistle. Here in Romans chapter 1, we'll focus our attention primarily on verses 16 through 17 of Romans 1. A familiar text, I'm sure, to many of you, but I felt it worthy to, yet again, share from it. Excuse me, I thought I turned this thing off. And nothing bothers me more, and here I am standing here doing it. I don't want to buzz it in my pocket the whole time. It's Sunday morning, so all my friends and brothers from around the world are checking on me to see how it's going over here, Pastor. Their Lord's Day has just concluded, so now they want to make sure that I'm up and into my own Lord's Day, so we get... A number of texts and phone calls every Sunday morning from around the world to see how it is. But isn't that kind of neat? Realize that even now there are people in the refugee camps of northern Uganda, Kenya, and other places around the world, Pakistan and India, who are actually praying for you people. They know I'm here, so they're going on to the Lord on behalf of you because you have to listen to me now. They're praying for us. Now, isn't that kind of beautiful in a way? To see how big God's church actually is. That there are people that don't know you and you don't know them, and yet they're going to the Lord. I know they are. Uh, Many of them on their knees on behalf of our time together in God's word. And that's a great thing. And it should be an encouragement to you. It's an encouragement to me. And I just share that with you. So it might encourage you. But more than that, I want us to consider Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I want you to understand that the doctrine in which is set forth here is one that's common to all of you, I'm sure, justification by faith alone. And you might be thinking to yourself, not another sermon on justification by faith alone. Please, not another one of those sermons. Well, we're going to touch on it, but not necessarily. Our essential truth for this morning is this. The essential truth of our text as well as this. The gospel, the good news that tells of the righteousness of God, saves everyone who believes by granting them righteousness. Let me say that again because I want you to grasp it. The gospel, the good news that tells of the righteousness of God, saves everyone who believes by granting them righteousness. Our theme is this, the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that Christianity, Christianity is the most powerful transforming force in human history? 
Christianity, in its truest sense, as polluted as as it has become, in its truest sense, is the most powerful transforming force in human history. Our hope for this morning is simple. That we might understand and apply the proper method and message in our mission. That we who understand the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we who hope in that transforming power displayed in the world yet today, that we who understand that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, that we might understand and apply this as our proper message and method in our mission. That's where we tend, we were going this morning, and that's where I believe we will. So I want us to consider Romans 1 in a different way this morning than you're probably used to. I want us to consider it within the context of mission, within the context of the Great Commission, within that call on each of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ to go and tell others the good news of Christ. One of the most discouraging things for me since leaving the pulpit of sorts and entering the mission field is how many times I've heard, well, that's your job. You're the one that's supposed to share the good news. You're the one that's supposed to be equipped to share the gospel clearly. You're the one, that's your job. And you know, we've fallen prey to that thinking, haven't we? Just as we argue that we need to leave counseling to the professionals, we begun to embrace and argue that we need to leave that evangelism, that mission stuff, to the professionals. It's for them. And yet we know through Scripture, don't we, that each and every one of us who are called by God through Christ Jesus are commanded It's not a suggestion. Are commanded to be willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in that context I want us to consider these most famous of all verses in God's word, as we know, especially within Protestantism. But I want you to consider it in that light this morning. Again, our reading for this morning comes from Romans, the first chapter, verses 16 through 17, I remind you that what is being read is the very word of God, and it would serve us well to pay it careful attention. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, as we come to your word, we're reminded that it is holy. That it is inspired, that it is inerrant and infallible. 
And Father, I ask that it might be indeed our only rule of faith and practice. And Lord, as we have opened it this morning, we pray for your spirit's blessing to be upon us to unstop our ears and remove the scales from our eyes and crush our hearts of stone that we might even see Christ this very day. Bless the one who speaks, his sins are many. Again, we've come for your glory and your glory alone. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Just by way of introduction here in verse 16, Paul starts a new section in a sense. He has come in many ways to the end of his personal resume and he's been referring to himself and his calling and in particular his relationship to the Christians in Rome. And he's done this from the very beginning of his letter. In verse, you'll note in verse 6, uh, in the first six verses, six and a half verses really, he's making a general statement about his calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then from the end of verse 6 to 15, he's speaking about himself and his relationship to this particular, these particular Christians in Rome. And now, having dealt with all of that, he moves on, and here he comes to make this great announcement of sorts. As he announces the great theme of the entire epistle. And it's important for us to understand that, that, that that's what Paul is doing here. He's established who he is in Christ Jesus as he's been called to be an apostle. He's established his relationship with these particular group of Christians in Rome, the Christians in Rome. And now he's flowing in, if you will, into a new section a section that might stand in and of itself all alone because it's here that he sets forth the theme of his entire epistle. He summarizes succinctly, if you will, the rest of the letter here in these two verses. Romans is my favorite book in the Bible. And not because Martin Luther liked Romans, although he did, and I can relate to Luther. The insanity of Luther is, is closely linked to the insanity of Todd. I like Luther. But that's not why I like Romans. I like Romans because Romans sets forth clearly, I believe, more than any other book of the Bible, the basic doctrine of our faith. The truth of the gospel clearly stated from beginning to end. And I would encourage you, if you're not an individual who continuously sets himself or herself before the book of Romans, I would encourage you to do that. To read it often. Because one of the things that we suffer from today more than any other, I believe, is just what I stated earlier. It's that reaction when we hear we might be receiving another sermon on justification by faith alone. Consider this in the quietness of your own heart. If that was your reaction, or perhaps is your reaction from time to time, 
You need to ask yourself why. The only thing I know for certain, the older I get, salvation has to be of the Lord and the Lord alone, and it has to be by grace. Because I'll blow it. I'll blow it every time. You should preach the gospel, the good news of Christ to yourself daily. And if you've lost the excitement of what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ, Check your heart. This message should never grow old. And as I said, the more we understand him, and the more we understand ourselves, the more we know and see the necessity that this has to be true. <laughs> or the only thing that awaits me I won't speak for you. You might be a good Christian. If it's not true, the only thing that awaits me is the pit of hell. Because I'll blow it every time. Now, I'm not excusing your sin, parentheses. <laughs> if you have indeed embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, there should be change in your life. Amen. Amen. The transforming power of Christianity, the gospel, the good news, the work of the Holy Spirit and the life of the dead sinner, which brings him from death to life and makes him anew and gives him new eyes to see and a new heart to believe and a new way to interpret the world in which he lives. Make no small progress, beloved, no small progress, beloved, in the mortification of sin in your own bodies. The gospel does not excuse your sin. It covers your sin. And it clothes your iniquity with his righteousness. But you do have responsibility as a new creature. Put off the old and put on the new. And you can only do that daily. If the message of verses 16 and 17 don't grow old in your own heart. You get that? You can only do that daily. When this is new every morning, when his faithfulness and goodness and mercy to you is exciting every day. I wish I could stand here and confess to you that every morning I wake up and I preach the gospel to myself. But I don't. Sometimes I wake up rather early and I think, man, I got to do this in my own strength. Let's go. Get up, boy, get up. Time to go. It's time to work. I wish I could tell you every day when I lay down on, on at bed at night, I think to myself, Lord, thank you for the grace sufficient for today. Thank you for the grace that has redeemed me from hell. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And I don't. But I don't stand here to tell you that to help ease your power. Because it doesn't ease mine. Because it's grown into this idea, Lord, why didn't I? <laughs> why didn't I get up and say thanks? Why didn't I go to bed and say thanks? 
Thanks for saving a wretched sinner such as me. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Have you ever experienced shame in the gospel? I'd have to again stand before you and tell you there are times where I thought, I'm not saying anything right now. This isn't the crowd to say it is. You know, the rough crowd. Many of you don't hang out with those kinds of people. I do. I do because Christ did. And I do because part of my sin nature still likes it. And I've stood in crowds and thought to myself, now's the time, Todd. Now's the time. Tell them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I kept my mouth shut. And you know, I can tell you each story and I can tell you how many times I've done it three times in my life. It's funny how the Lord has never let me forget that. I can see each scenario as clear as yesterday. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I warn you, Paul's here stating uh, something positive, really, in the negative, quite frankly. Paul's wanting you to understand that he's not ashamed of the gospel, that he boasted glories in the gospel. But understand this, Paul was tempted, like you and I, to be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you sit there this morning and you say to yourself, I've never been ashamed of the good, good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, I agree with uh, uh, D.M. Lloyd-Jones. If you've never been tempted to be this ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not because you're a good Christian. It's not because you're better than anyone else. Lloyd-Jones suggests, I think he's right. It's because you've never understood the content of the gospel. We live in a world in which, as someone has suggested, there are many, many full churches. There are big churches now in America. It's a big church. It's just not guys in glass towers and other things. There's a lot of big churches today filled with a lot of people. But they're filled also with shallow pulpits. Huge churches that we see magnificent numbers of people. Pay attention. They're filled with shallow pulpits. Much content. No depth. And we've fallen prey to that, I think, in evangelicalism today, especially in the United States. We've lost the oath if you will, of the gospel. And we've grown ashamed. Now, if you've never been tempted, or you think you've never been tempted, consider that. Perhaps you've never clearly understood the content of the gospel. Scripture over and over again clearly tells us that it's a stumbling block for some and foolishness to others. That it's to be ridiculed by the world. 
Francis believed that people who hate God hate his word, that they don't hate the gospel. You see, nothing speaks more directly to our origin, origins and destinies than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, the flesh does not like that. Think about it in the, the, the time of Christ himself. Look at what we just read in our, our confession of sin, which is perfect. He silences the Sadducees, so now the Pharisees come. They want to trick him. They didn't believe what he was saying. They didn't believe who he was. They rejected and ridiculed him. Do you truly think that the world won't reject and ridicule you if you stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Really? Now, who of us, in our hearts of hearts, wants to be ridiculed? You see what I'm getting at there? If you've never been tempted to be ashamed, you don't understand the content. Because with the content of the true gospel of Jesus Christ comes ridicule. The world hates it. The flesh hates it. We don't like truth today, do we? And the truth of the matter of the gospel is this. You're rotten. And can't do anything about it. Save the grace of God in your life. That you are destined for hell. That you are vile and wicked. Save the blood and righteousness of Christ our Lord. We don't like to hear that, do we? You're okay, and I'm okay. Out that you're rotten and I'm rotten too. And we shook each other's hands, greeted each other in a crystal way, kissed each other in the cheek, and said, Do better tomorrow. But thank you for Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ready to preach it in season and out of season. I'm ready to preach it to the Christian, to the saints in Rome, to the unbeliever in Rome, to the wise and to the foolish in Rome. I'm ready to preach it to them just as I'm ready to preach it to everyone, he says, when he says barbarian and Jew, right? That's just another way of saying Paul's ready to preach the gospel to everyone. Are you ready to preach the gospel to everyone? The good news of Jesus Christ? Look, you're in a transition period here. I can't help but relate it to you. I come here. I live over the hill. If I ever need a church, I'll probably pop in here. Just kidding. We like you people a whole lot. My family does. I can't believe you. You, you people are in a transition period, aren't you? Your pastor, your beloved pastor has moved on. God has called him yet to another way in which he might serve him. And now you're seeking and looking for the God that man might put here. Let me, ask, let me tell you this. And tell you this as a person who loves you. You make sure the next guy you bring in here can proclaim clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pray he does it to you every Sunday, no matter how bored you get. Because your boredom is your problem. But make sure the man you bring can't wait every Sunday to tell you again how rotten you are. And then love you 
not one who will entertain you. Not one that will make you feel good. The problem with each one of us is we're already good at making ourselves feel good, aren't we? We're already good at telling, excusing ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as that lady right there, who I think has one of the greatest hearts I've ever known. Anyway, I'm not as bad as old Rick Hollyfield. Quite frankly, I probably couldn't carry Rick's shoes. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and don't you be ashamed either. Be ready to preach the gospel. And it's not for professionals, it's for everyone who knows the saving grace of God himself or herself. Young man, preach the gospel at school. They won't like you. You won't win any popularity contests. You might not even get a girlfriend for a while. But you know what? Don't be afraid to do it. One of the things that has always discouraged me, and listen to me, is to hear Christians say, they took prayer out of school. They took prayer out of school. You know, the only way they took prayer out of school is because parents stopped stopped teaching their kids to pray in school. And let me tell you something, man, because I like you. You look nice, nice young man. You pray in school. You can talk to God all day long. And only you and him will know. But don't ever be afraid to profess the gospel anywhere. Because God will empower you. And he'll make you strong. pray that you never have to carry the shame of being ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, now why? Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For what? Why isn't Paul ashamed? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there's no more beautiful words in all scripture. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. Think about that. Listen, I've done this for 22 years and every hair on my back is standing up right now. The gospel of God, of Jesus Christ, is the power of salvation. It's the means by which God brings people from death to life. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the truth of God's life, death, and resurrection. His promised return as as king of kings and lord of lords. The state of every human heart outside of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. God brings people. People like you and me who can't do anything about our rottenness. To saving faith. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. It's what saves people. It's what God uses. I'm not talking about God's omnipotence here. We're talking about, although God is omnipotent, all powerful, talking about the power in the proclamation of the word. 
As you know, I'm in the mission world now. And last year I was in Africa for the first time and I remember standing there and I, I, I observed a lot of things. I, I only look dumb, I'm not real dumb. And I'm observing a lot of things. And I'm taking in a lot of things. And I'm starting to have this, what are we doing? What are we doing? Doesn't seem, they don't seem to get it. What, what's happening here? This is like standing in church and watching people sleep every Sunday. I'm on the mission field, Lord. There should be people wailing and coming to Christ. <laughs> what are we doing? I made a statement in front, of, in front of some leaders in the church in Africa and some of my own friends that went with me from here. Listen, gentlemen, I didn't come here to make friends. If we're here to make friends, I'd like my ticket home. We didn't come here to make friends. I came here to see the family of God grow. I don't want friends. I want brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Friends come and go, but a brother in Christ can never leave. Friends come and go. But a true brother in Christ will always be a brother. Even when he lets you down. Even when he sins against you. He's still a brother. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Does that energize you? I always tell people the time for popularity was in high school. And if you weren't popular in high school, I'm sorry, but you missed your opportunity. Fair, huh? It's a fair statement. I think we as Christians today are worried too much about being popular. Too much about worried about being liked. Let's be honest, if anybody really knew you, they wouldn't like you. Nobody likes Todd. Todd comes and just says things. But it's true, isn't it? If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. But Christ changes all that. Doesn't he? And it's because of Christ that Paul establishes his relationship with these people in Rome. And he's eager, eager to preach the good news to them. Not because he knows them personally, but because he knows of their profession and he knows what they need. And see, that bond is strong. It's stronger than we realize and it should be stronger than we allow it to be. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Greek. For everyone who believes. See, this message is for everyone. I love that. You know, as exclusive as Christianity really is at its root, it's, from people, it's for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
That's not just for white people. It's for people for every tribe, tongue, and nation. I just shared with you, you have people from tribes and other nations praying for you now. Because we're brothers and sisters united in Christ Jesus. So it's the power for salvation to everyone who believes, Jew first and also the Greek. Now here it is. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the gospel, am I out of time? How much time do I have left? Am I, am I done, ma'am? Almost, okay. Ah, it's 10.49. I can do a lot in minutes. I throw my hands up and give a benediction real quick. Listen to this. This is a beautiful thing. Look at verse 17 again. Look at it again. I want to read it again. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what is the gospel? You know, before I left for Christmas teaching Christians, one of the biggest things I was doing was walking around asking strangers and people I knew, tell me what the gospel is. Now, people are going to look at you like crazy, but I would encourage you to do that sometime. Go home and just grab your wife. Do it when she's least expecting it. Do it when <laughs> the general response would be, not now, honey, you know I'm busy. Pick that moment. Okay? Say, honey, tell me, what, what is the gospel? What is this gospel thing? What is the gospel? Now, she'll look at you like you're nuts, but make her tell you. And wives, do the same to your husband. Wait till he's under the hood, mowing the grass, weed whacking, something he hates. It's 105. Wait for it. Right? Plan this out. And go and say, hey, hon, what, what's the gospel? And when he hollers at you, don't walk away. Say, no, 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 I'm serious. It's important right now. Go around and ask people what the gospel is. Here, here's what the gospel is not. The gospel is not your personal testimony. You understand that? I hear people giving the gospel, quote, unquote, all the time, and all they're giving is their testimony. That's not the gospel. It might be the means by which God enables you to share the gospel with somebody. And it's a good method to employ. It's not a philosophy. The gospel is not a philosophy. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 tells us something very important about the gospel. It's the gospel of who? Anybody. The gospel of who in verse 1? Don't be afraid. Rick's not here. You can talk to me. Christ Jesus. Christ. Now look, look back at 1. Look back at 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of who? God. First and foremost, we need to understand that it's God's gospel. The gospel is God's. It's not your testimony. It's not your idea. It's not a philosophy of yours. We've lost the understanding that the gospel is God's. That it originates with God. That it was composed by God. 
That it's the means by which God brings people from death to life. The gospel is God's. It's not a gimmick. And what we learn by verse 1 is this. We should never, never, to use my old professor, the late Dr. Sproul, never, ever, 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 ever mess with it. Now, there's the general gospel presentation, isn't it? The death, the life, and the resurrection of Christ. His passive and active obedience, his promised return, his ascension to the throne, his promised return, all those things. Beautiful. We all get that. Justified by faith alone. But when we consider the gospel, we need to consider the meritorious work of Christ. And by that, here's what I mean. We are... We are justified by faith, right? For faith. And we live by faith because we are made righteous by God himself. You see, the beauty of the gospel is this. Christ Jesus, the second person of the blessed trinity, took off flesh like you and me. And he wasn't born by normal means. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He couldn't be because if he was born by normal means, he would be born with what? A sin nature. He would be polluted because each of us are born in that estate. Adam's sin was imputed to us. Let's start with that. Now, Christ comes. He's born of a Virgin Mary. He lives a perfectly sinless life. He keeps the law of God, both tablets, every command perfectly in obedience. Earning the very thing for you that you cannot earn for yourself. And that's righteousness. You are justified because of the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Now you are made righteous in the sight of God because you're clothed. You were a dirty priest in a filthy robe. According to Joshua... And Christ came, didn't he? He took that robe off. And he put a clean robe on each one of us. And now we are righteous in his sight. Not because of us. But because of what he has done for us. He paid for our sin on the cross. We're justified through his resurrection. Made right with God. Through the work of Christ as he kept the law perfectly on our behalf. And that's credited to you as your righteousness. And how do you get tired of that? Think about that. Now, I said I want you to think about this in the context of missions. I think missions is going to be needed here in the United States just as much as it's needed anywhere in the world, and it's coming soon. Do you realize that the church and the state are on a collision course? I don't know what that means. And don't, I'm not Rush Limbaugh or anybody else. No, I'm just reading the Bible, and I see what I see. Okay? But mission and missions are going to be needed here in the state. People ask me all the time, what are you doing in Africa? Why, do you go to pa- why would you go to Pakistan? I don't really know why you'd go to Pakistan other than the gospel. Right? And I tell them point blank, well, I, I'm going to prepare people to come back and share the, 
the good news of Jesus Christ with my great-grandchildren. Because we forgot the mission here. We forgot the reason to establish churches, or it's the mission that results in churches, right? We become church planners. We plant churches everywhere. And then what happens when the guy down the street's cooler than your pastor? He was cool in high school. He's cool now. He's funny, good-looking, wise. Now what? We shuffle a bunch of Christians around. Do we see the conversions in the United States we should see? Are we on mission here? As well as around the world. Are we hungry? Of the gospel, hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to go and to preach the good news of Jesus to everyone as Paul was? Paul says, I'm ready. I'm not ashamed. I'll go. Oh, I can't come, so I'll write you a letter. And if I was coming, here's what I'd preach to you. And he writes it down. So he goes anyway. We've lost the method, and we've messed up the message. That's why we're no longer on mission. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our God, we thank you for this, your word. And, Lord, there's so much here, and only a fool would pick a text from Romans. But yet, Lord, I'll gladly be a fool. A fool for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us eyes, Lord, to see the transforming power of the gospel. May we see it in our own life. Would you put us on a mission with the proper message and the proper method? The message is simple. Christ's life, death, and resurrection. The method is even simpler. Go tell it. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need fancy things. We don't need loud music, lights, all those things, whatever. Father, what we need is hearts willing to go. I pray for this congregation especially that you would give them hearts to go. That they would even now in a period of transition be hungry for the gospel and be visible in the community in which they live as people who are not ashamed of the gospel. Make them wise in the mission. Grant them your message. May they practice your method just as the apostle. What we see here is the mark of true Christianity. One who is unashamed of the gospel. Grant that it might be true of each one of us. In Christ's name we ask it.